Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be back. If you are new, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here, um, and this is my daughter. Uh, hi. Uh, we... Uh, she she loves being away from her dad. It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, no, she uh, my wife is gone today uh, visiting some family in Indiana. So she uh, she's hanging out with me, and it is good to be back. I just got back from a hunting trip, uh, and so we had a great sweet welcome to the bridge, everybody. We are glad you are here. We are a church that is imperfect, but we serve a perfect God, and and that should be our new slogan. Riley, write that down. Uh, but we are glad to be back. Uh, does anybody remember a little season of our life called COVID-19? Yeah, I said that first service, and I thought I was going to die. Uh, people were, COVID-19 brings up a lot of complex emotions, right? Like, there's just a lot that went into that season. There was a lot of hardship, uh, and I am on board with all of that. Uh, the one saving grace for us is there was one addition that came into our family around COVID-19 that was really good, and it went something a little bit like this. Uh, I went for a run that afternoon, and my wife, when I left, she was on the couch scrolling through Facebook, whatever. I came back, and as soon as I opened the door, she goes, babe, I got to show you something. Get up here. So I went upstairs, and I leaned over the phone, and she first said, wow, do you stink? And she pushed me away for a second, but then she brought me back, and she goes, you got to look at this. And she showed me, she flipped her phone around, and there was a very blurry but very obvious picture of a, a litter of golden retriever puppies on, on the screen. And she said, uh, just look at them. And I said, cool. And then the next question was, do you want to get one? What she really meant by that was, we're getting one. It's really what that boiled down to. Uh, it was one of those things where it's like, hey, like I really, really want to. And, and full disclosure in our marriage, like it's not like a can I, can you. It's, it's like we're a team effort. We talk about it, everything else. And we're like, you know what? Why not? It's COVID-19. We're at home. Uh, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old who's crazy. Uh, you're pregnant. Why not add a puppy? What could go wrong, right? It was great. And sure enough, we brought him home, and it was crazy. But the one thing for me that I was kind of a little bit excited about, because full disclosure, not a pet guy, didn't grow up with pets, had one pet my whole life up to this point. It was a betta fish and it died. And I think it was my fault, honestly. And so I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be good at this, but uh, for those who know me, you know, I'm an avid duck hunter. And so I was really excited about the idea of having a duck dog that could do the hard work for me because I was the dog in my hunting group. And so to not have to go and do it was, was, was awesome. And so uh, the first season I had him out there, I, I, I brought him home and I realized that dog trainers um, take a lot of money. Like they just are a lot of ex- investment to get there. And so I was like, okay, we're training this thing myself. And so I trained him and the first hunting season, I was so excited. We dropped one duck and I sent him out there and he jumps out there and he's super excited. I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. He gets out to the duck and he goes and swims back to me. And I was like, okay, cool. There goes that year of training. And so this last year, I was like, all right, here's the deal. Like, I'm not paying so much money for a dog trainer. 
I am not a quitter. I am going to do this thing myself. We are going to make this thing happen. And so four to five days a week, I would get out in my backyard and train with my dog. And uh, there were some days it was raining. There were some days it was 85 degrees. There were some days it was just kind of crazy. But whatever it looked like, we were out there training four to five times per week from April until about two weeks ago. And what was really cool is we got out there this year. And on the second bird that we dropped, it was a full circle moment because as he jumped out there, he went out there, he picked the bird up, he came right back, dropped it in my hand, and it was kind of that full circle moment of like, ah, he did it. And it was like one of those moments where I felt super good, but here's the thing that really kind of just like hit me, because here's the deal. I think God can talk to us in a lot of different ways, right? He talks to us through this book. He talks to us when we pray. He talks to us as we're communing with other people who believe and that kind of thing. God can speak a variety of different ways, but a lot of times he likes to take things from our life and kind of just have that, see, this is, this is an example. And what was really cool is as I was sitting there with the second duck on the way back to me, my dad from the other side of the blind goes, that's a different dog this year. And it kind of was that, that heart check moment of going, what would people say of us if we said, you know what, I'm going to commit to chasing after God. What if we had take, took that same tenacity of I'm training four or five days a week when I want to and when I don't, when it's convenient and when it's not? What if we took the time to genuinely seek God and how would we be different? Would we have people that would say, man, you're different. Something's different about you. What is it? When at the core, it's just that reality that Jesus is moving inside of us. And that's why we're in this sermon series called Airplane, where we're talking about spiritual disciplines or spiritual activities to connect with God. Because the thing of it is, is it's not always convenient, is it? It's not always convenient to try and make time in your busy schedule to connect with God. It's not always easy to do it. But the reality is, is if we commit to staying disciplined and seeking after God with all that we are, we will be changed from the inside out. And so what are the spiritual disciplines? What are the things that we can do to connect with God? We talked about the first week, this book, the Bible, and how you read it, why you read it, what's in it, what, what, how do you even go about tackling this big book? I would be almost as tall as Riley if I stepped on top of this book, almost. They talk about the camera adding like pounds. I think I lost inches in that, those announcements. I look tiny next to you. But this book is super big. It's super comprehensive. How do you read? We talked about that the first week. Last week while I was gone, we had someone come in and talk about prayer and talk about how prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not something that you have to do for God. It's something you do to connect with God. We're talking about these things, and I want to talk about one today, a spiritual discipline that I would say is just as important as the first two, but often gets overlooked. So this morning, we're going to open up to 1 Kings chapter 19. And if you have your Bibles, thank you, you students. 1 Kings chapter 19, it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. It says this, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death. With the sword, I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. 
for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your word. I pray that as we talk about something that is challenging or difficult, I pray, God, that you would speak to us and we'd walk out of this place feeling uplifted, encouraged, and empowered by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Certain disciplines spiritually are easy for other people. For some of us, opening the Bible and reading it comes easy. For some of us, it doesn't. For some of us, praying comes naturally. It comes easy. We can pray and pray and pray. And for others of us, it's like, I don't even know how to begin to pray. Everybody's different. But I think the spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about today is one that I would say is pretty universally difficult. And it's the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. See, the idea of silence, I think, for a lot of us is enticing. Like the idea of being silent. As a parent of two kids, silence sounds like an oasis. It sounds amazing, right? Because every three seconds, Dad, Dad, I'm thirsty. Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I don't like that juice. Dad, I want a different snack. Dad, I don't like that. Mom, Dad, jumping on the couch again, you told him not to. Dad, what are you doing? All these different things you hear, Dad, 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 Mom, Mom, Mom. And it's awesome. It's amazing. But it's loud. And it's incessant. And so the idea of silence can feel like, ah. Or if work is busy and life is just crazy and the volume in the basement is super loud, whatever it is, sometimes the idea of silence is just so enticing. But the reality of silence is that a lot of times silence can be deafening. You ever had that moment where it's so quiet and so utterly silent that it's almost loud about how quiet it is? And for a lot of us, if we were to be very vulnerable, very honest, silence is uncomfortable. It's staggering. Something I do personally, something I've heard all the time, is I turn something on in the background as background noise to fill the silence. We don't like silence. As a matter of fact, our whole culture, our whole society is set up so there's always noise. There's always music. There's always stuff that is constantly in our ear all of the time. And while that's not always a bad thing, the reason I think we truly run from silence is silence forces you to confront the very thoughts that are deep within you. When you are silent, and it is silent, you're alone with your thoughts. And for some of us, that's no fun because our thoughts are full of negative emotions, whether it be fear, whether it be anger, whether it be worry. We are confronted with this, aware of it, and it just freaks us out. So we try to drown out that stuff, those emotions, with noise. Turning on Netflix, turning on Spotify, talking to friends, whatever it is. And again, hear me out, those are not bad things. As a matter of fact, did them yesterday, probably doing them today. Those are not inherently bad things. But we have to address this idea of not being comfortable 
with silence because if we're not willing to be silent and be in solitude, we're going to miss God's voice. In 1 Kings chapter 19, this man named Elijah is on a mountain. Which mountain is he on? Mount Oreb or Mount Sinai? Same mountains, different names. It's the same mountain that Elijah received, or not Elijah, Moses received the Ten Commandments on. It's a very spiritual place. And so he's on this mountain, and it says in verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Little secret, whenever God asks a question, he knows the answer to that. He's God. He knows all things. It's kind of like when you hear a cat fight in the basement, and your kids are screaming and yelling, and you say, guys, what's happening down there? You know what's happening down there. You just want them to fess up to it. Same kind of thing is happening here. What are you doing here, Elijah? God knows what he's doing here. Let me fill you in on why he's there. Elijah is a prophet of God. Back in the Old Testament time, instead of pastors and leaders and and the word of God itself, God would speak through people called prophets. And Elijah was a really good one. He loved God. He heard from God. He spoke what God said, even when it wasn't popular. He was a great prophet. But the problem is there were some other people who didn't like prophets of God. There are people who worshiped this false God named Baal, who was not a real God, but they worshiped him anyway. And so Elijah's kind of just fed up with this. He's like, hey, here's the deal. We are going to do an absolute showdown right here, right now. Let's see whose God is real, your God or my God. So what they did is they had an animal sacrifice on this side, animal sacrifice on this side. Elijah goes, hey, you go first. Just pray to your God. And if your God's real, he'll come down and Take that sacrifice up in flames. So they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for hours. Nothing happened. This is why I love Elijah. Elijah's got some confidence about him. He's got some swagger about him. Like, I know whose God I am. I, 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 we are set for this. So Elijah says, hey, fellas, cute try. Watch this. Grabs jugs of water and dumps it on his sacrifice. Now, for those that are smart in the room, How well does wet wood start on fire? Not super well. So he's stacking the deck against himself. And sure enough, he prays, and God comes down immediately, takes up the sacrifice, and all the water's gone. Just hot, intense fire, takes it up immediately. You want to talk about like a great, great pastoral moment? Like that's incredible. This is probably one of the greatest, coolest, miraculous moments of Elijah's career. This was awesome. And as he's on the way down the mountain, praising God, life is good, he gets a little text message from this person named Jezebel. And yes, for the literal people in here, it was not a literal text message, okay? It was a message from Jezebel, the queen of the land, the queen who was a big fan of all these guys over here that got showed up, big fan. She goes, hey, just so you know, I'm going to kill you, literally kill you. Like, not just like, I'm mad at you. Like, I am going to physically kill you. You better get ready. Elijah, despite the fact that he just saw God do incredible things, takes this and freaks out. He's scared. So the Bible says that he goes from Mount Carmel, which is in the Jezreel Valley, down to Beersheba. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I had no idea how far that was. No idea where Jezreel and Beersheba are, so I had to look it up. It's 100 miles away. By foot, the dude ran for 100 miles. Some of us don't want to drive 100 miles. And if we do, we got to take like four bathroom stops. But this guy 
took off and ran for 100 miles to get away from this woman. Then he gets to Beersheba. He must be paranoid about his servant. Then he leaves his servant back at camp, and he takes off another day's journey into the wilderness to get away. He is running for his life. And there is this famous prayer, this famous statement he has in 1 Kings chapter 18, where he basically says, God, just take my life. I'm done. Can't do this anymore. You want to talk about a swing of emotions. You just have one of the greatest, most miraculous, successful points of your life. And a day or two or three or four later, you're praying, God, I can't do this anymore. Do you want to know why Elijah was there? That was it. Because on the outside, he was uber successful. But inside, there was some turmoil. Inside, there was some fear. Inside, some wires had gotten crossed. And he might have been speaking for the all-powerful God, but the God that he was talking about serving and loving was not the God that he felt inside. So what happens is he takes a nap, literally, wakes up and an angel of the Lord says, hey, take and eat. There was some food there. You're too weak for the journey. So he ate, took a nap. Woke up, same thing. Ate, took a nap. And then God leads him on this journey to Mount Sinai. 200 miles away from where he was. Just, just out of curiosity, just for easy math. This guy walked 300 miles in the span of about 50 days, 60 days. But here's why that's significant. From where he was to where he was going in Mount Sinai was 200 miles away. It took him 40 days to get there. Pretty good walk. But the Bible says nothing about what happened on the walk over there. And everything else is recorded. So that only tells me that nothing crazy significant happened in that 40-day period of walking. So let me just paint this picture for you. You are depressed. You are dejected. You are quite literally running for your life. And you now have 40 days by yourself walking from Beersheba to Mount Sinai. That is 40 days of solitude. That is 40 days of being in utter silence. That is 40 long days with each step you take, mulling, thinking, processing, coming to grips with what you are feeling on the inside. It's a long time. It's a long time of feeling this, processing this, and it's so timely because guess what? When he finally shows up to the mountain, uh, God speaks to him and says, hey, go to the mountain. And when he gets there, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? If I were Elijah, I'd be like, you tell me. You've been leading me this direction. But again, God knows the answer to the question. What are you doing here, Elijah? He wanted Elijah to get to the point where he admitted, here's what's going on. I think so many times in our life, everybody, we're looking for God so desperately that we miss them all together. Because we talk about silence and solitude, if you're taking notes, I have three points for you this morning. And the first one is this, godly solutions take time. 
God's powerful enough to snap his fingers and do crazy, physic-defying things. But the reality is, that's not always how he works. Sometimes he works through process. He works through time. Elijah was praying for God to take his life, but God took him on a journey for 40 days. And I can only imagine not a whole lot was said. Because he had to let Elijah come to the grips of what was going on inside of him. Godly solutions take time. I think so many times we like to give up on God because we're not getting what we want the way we want it right now. I talk to so many people who, when they're discouraged and they're needing a miracle, I'm like, hey, how's it going? Oh, not good. It just it's not happening. I prayed and I prayed and I'm like, man, like how long has this been going on? couple days, a week. And the reality is, as much as we desperately crave and need God to come through on our timeline, the reality is sometimes his timeline is greater than ours. And the solutions that we need take time. Yes, Elijah needed protection. Yes, Elijah needed some big things from God. But what he needed more than all of that was to get back right with God the Father. God was chasing after Elijah's soul right here because he was so worried. Elijah was being used by God effectively. I need us to understand this. On the outside, Elijah was awesome. He was saying the right things, doing the right things. God's hand was upon his life. But something inside was off. And that is why he took him on 40 day's journey in silence to get him alone to come to grips that when he asked him that question, what are you doing here? He could say it and articulate it with his mouth. He could confess, here's what's going on inside of me. Because Psalm 139 says, God knows the thoughts on our brain before we even think them. God knew exactly what Elijah was going through, but he needed Elijah to actually confess it. I was seeing a therapist a little while back, and something that he said to me that was so, so profound, so, so good, was he was saying, hey, before we start today, I want you to dump the bucket. And I straight up was like, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> he goes, I want you to think about all the stuff that's rattling around in your brain. No matter how erratic, no matter how random, no matter how big or small, I want you to take whatever is rolling around in your brain and dump it on my desk. So sure enough, I did it. And it felt like this one big jumbled rat's nest. But when I got all done, he goes, feel better? And I did. Because so many times there's so much stuff rolling around in our brain that we can't articulate it. We have to physically dump it out. And that's exactly what God was doing here. He's saying, what are you doing here? And Elijah says this in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Translation, God, I've been faithful to you. I've been working. But the Israelites have rejoiced or have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. God, I've been working. I've been faithful. And your people aren't listening. On top of that, then he comes out with this little tidbit at the end of it. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He's frustrated. Nothing's working. And they're coming after me. But then God sends a little message that says, go out 
on the edge of the mountain for God's about to pass by. He sends winds that tear a mountain in half, tornado-like winds. God wasn't in the wind. As soon as the wind hushes down, the ground beneath Elijah starts to rumble and shake. Rocks are falling down. Stuff's going awry. An earthquake is happening right before him, but God was not in the earthquake. And as soon as the rocks stop shaking, a fire roars. But God wasn't in the fire. And then, after all of that is done, the Lord sent a gentle whisper. I love how the King James has it here, a still, small voice. And I found this out this week. This was profound. The New Revised Standard Version of the Bible takes verse 13 and translates it into a sound of sheer silence. God speaks in the silence, which is why we can't stop getting silent before him. Silence scares us because it makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel uncomfortable. But the reality is silence is where God speaks most powerfully because there's nothing else competing for his voice. When we give God silence, we can listen to exactly what it is he's speaking. Point number two, silence eliminates competition. Elijah had the success. He had the purpose. He was doing great things for God. He had seen God do a miracle on Mount Carmel where the sacrifice got licked up. He had seen earth, wind, and fire, not in concert, the real thing, right in front of his own eyes. But it wasn't what he needed. He needed the still, small voice of God. He needed his voice. See, Elijah had seen God's power, but he was missing God's intimacy. And sometimes that's what we're missing too. We're looking for the big miraculous, boom, there's the God moment. But altogether, we're missing because we're so focused on this. We're missing the fact that we're missing the still small voice down here. It's encouraging, empowering, purposeful. If you're only looking for God's power, you're going to miss him. Not because he can't do it, but because he's bigger than power. He's intimate. He knows you. He knows what you're about. And the problem with the lack of silence is that when we don't have silence, we don't have his voice. What Elijah heard was opposition. Jezebel saying, I'm going to kill you. What he heard was all the Israelites saying, you're a terrible leader. We're not going to follow you. He was given his life for this. And by all metrics, he was failing because people weren't listening to him. He heard failure. He heard fear. He heard the lies of the enemy saying, you're all alone. No one else is doing this, buddy. You're doing this by yourself. And guess what? You stink at it. You're terrible at it. What he heard over and over and over again. And the question I have for all of us in this room today is what do you hear? I'm not just talking about what you physically hear, but I'm talking about when you are confronted 
with your own thoughts, when you are sitting by yourself, whether it be in the car and the radio is not on, whether you are just walking about your day, whatever it is, when you are confronted with your silence, what do you hear? Maybe it's the voice of a coworker or a boss who is really uplifting and empowering and awesome. You just feel great whenever they speak to you. But what if it's a boss, a coworker, a peer who loves to tear you down, loves to discourage you, loves to point out all the ways in which you're failing and loves more than anything else to just make you feel like you are the worst at your job? What do you hear? What do you hear when this thing that you are trying to pursue is hitting opposition and you feel like maybe you're not cut out for this, all of a sudden now you start to kind of have that recollection. Somebody spoke something to you a while ago where maybe it's like, hey, you're not going to amount to anything. You're a piece of trash. And yes, that sounds extreme, but I can't tell you how many people I talked to, something that was spoken to them 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years ago still sits right in here. A word that was spoken in spite, a word that was spoken in anger, a word that probably had no actual validity, but you clung on to it and it, you just, you can't help no matter how successful you are, no matter how much life happens, you just feel torn down by that word spoken over you. What do you hear? What do you hear when you're trying to pursue something big and that fear is hot and heavy on your neck and you're like, I can't help but feel that that fear is just right behind me and I'm scared what's going to happen. What do you hear? What do you hear when the thing around you, you turn on the news, you go on Facebook and you hear all the wars, you hear all the stuff. It's so loud and you're scared to even go out and live in public because the world is so messed up. What do you hear when you're trying to go about your life and it's so chaotic, it's so busy, you can't help but even think because you're so anxious. Even as I have this behind me, you're distracted because it's so loud. There are so many loud, loud voices in our life. And while there might be worship music coming through this speaker, the reality is for you, your speaker is not worship music. It's lies, it's deceit, it's things of the enemy, it's anger, it's fear. It's all these things that love to tear you down. And no matter how much you drown, no matter how much you try to drown it out, you can't. And the problem is we try to turn it down, but we can't. We try to say, I'm going to quiet the world, but it's impossible. The problem is if you want to find freedom and peace, you need to distance yourself from the, si- from the noise. I want to walk out with this, but you would be confused if I just walked off the stage. But in all honesty, if you want to experience freedom from your life, if you want to find reprieve from the loud noises in your life, And the lies of the enemy, it's not about silencing them. It's about creating silence in your life. You need to distance yourself from the noise. Which brings up to my last point, point number three. Silence is not found. It's created. You will not find silence in this world. Mark my words. This is not an encouraging word, just a matter of fact. When you walk out these doors today, noise will be waiting for you. 
not just physical noise of Paul Allen saying, and the Vikes are down 13-0 with four minutes left in the first quarter. Not just physical noise, but emotional noise, spiritual noise. Guys, there are so many of us that are living as if the lies spoken over us are truth. There are so many of us. It's not that you're living a lie, as in like you're not truthful. It's that there are things that were spoken to you, things that the enemy, Satan, has twisted inside of you that you feel are real that are not. That noise is going to be waiting for you the moment you walk out the door today. There's going to be more news on tomorrow. There's going to be more stress, more voices, more volume. And it's going to be more of a struggle to find the silence the more you live life. Which is why it is vital to not try to make the world quieter around you, but to make your world quieter. To create moments in your life, moments in your day of getting alone and being quiet, being silenced. Why? To impress God? No. You can't be impressed. It already impressed with you exactly as you are. But when you create silence and you discipline yourself, because hear me out, it's not comfortable to sit in silence. But when you discipline yourself to do it, when you create moments in your day, you will start to exchange your worries your stresses, your fears, your shame, your guilt, your condemnation for love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, power, strength, and peace. When you're silent and you let his voice be heard. It's not easy, but it's purposeful. It's not easy, but it's free. So this morning, can I tell you how I do it? Can I tell you how it happens for me? Let me be the first to say, I hate this silence. I hate trying to confront those thoughts in my brain. It's so freeing when you do it. Every single day, with few exceptions, not perfect. But for the last two weeks, every time I step foot into this building and go into my office, I have a to-do list that's quite large. But before I begin any of it, I have five minutes of silence. And the first day I did it, no joke. Like, all right, here's the deal. We're going to be silent today. So I looked at my watch, five minutes, we can do this. Sat there and we're just quiet. It was 11, I think it was, uh, what time was it? It was like 9.20 on my watch at the time. Like, sure, that's five minutes. 9.21, perfect. One minute. And I was like, oh, I don't like this. But the next day, same kind of thing. Next day, same kind of thing. Last week, there was a day I walked into this office, and I had the most anxious spirit about me. There were so many things that I, I knew I had to do. I knew there was, there was a few dynamics I had to navigate. I knew I had to talk to a few different people, and I knew there was a few different people who had to talk to me, and they weren't super, super happy with me, and I was super, super anxious. I felt like a failure. I felt discouraged. I was like, God, I don't want to sit in silence. Here we go. I sat in the silence. I was reminded of my favorite verse, Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. 
Do not be dismayed, dismayed, for I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Five minutes, and my emotions went from anxious, fear, and worry to joy, hope, and peace in five minutes because there was a different perspective. Before, it was I'm fighting this battle alone, and now it's a, (laughs) you got to answer to him because I'm his. It changed me, changed my perspective. You got to create pockets in your day. I'm jumping out of order, Lydia. Sorry back there. Here's how I get alone. Here's how I have solitude and silence every single day. I journal what's on my heart and I let it go. There are some times to dump my bucket like I talked about earlier. I can't articulate it into words. There's just too much rolling around in my head. So I take a pen and paper in a journal I have and I just start to write and I write and I write and I write until I have nothing else left to think about. And it's raw. There's no fluff. There's no grammar. There's no punctuation. It's just raw. Here's what's on my heart. And it's my way of saying, all right, God, here you go. It's freeing. It's powerful. That's the first thing. The second thing is you create pockets in my day. Like I said, I start every single day. I try to anyway with it. And let me be clear. I get it wrong. There it is. I jump right back into the chaos. But even last night, when I had two, two of my kids at home and my wife's not here because my wife's amazing. I don't know how she does all this stuff. There's a moment of going, going to sit before I go to bed. Breathe. Same thing happens. Create pockets in your day. The third thing, create space. I just mentioned earlier that I went on a hunting trip about a week and a half ago. You know where my phone was during the entirety of the hunting trip? On my nightstand at home. I left it at home for five days. Felt like I was committing a sin to leave my phone on my nightstand. I still had ways to get to get access. I was with my, my, my dad and buddy, so I had access to call my wife back home. But I can't tell you the freedom that came after two days of not having this thing on my hip. Create silence. Even if this means you leave this on your kitchen table before you go to bed at night, create pockets to get away from the noise and the silence. And the last thing is this. It's a guilt-free zone. Do you know God's not scared by your emotions? Do you know? You could tell God you are ticked off, upset, mad at him, and he can take it. David did it all the time. All throughout the Psalms. You got to be raw. You got to be willing to say, God, this is what I'm really wrestling with because so many times I have found I am trying to not be raw with God because I don't want him to be upset with me. But I'm not experiencing the freedom in that case because I'm not being raw with the one who died on the cross so I could be raw with him. It's got to be a guilt-free zone. It's got to be or else we'll never change. Here's how the story ends for Elijah. He walked into Mount Sinai, depressed, dejected, feeling all alone. In verse 15, he asked Elijah again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah gives him the same response, verbatim. And then God says this, I want you to go back home and I want you to anoint this person over a kingship. I want you to anoint that person. I want you to anoint Elijah who's going to take over for you after that. 
And oh yeah, when you go back, buddy, by the way, there's 7,000 other people who are fighting the same battle you are. You're not alone. God got to the root of his problem, but then he gave him a solution. Church, I don't know what your schedule looks like. I don't know what your life looks like, but let me tell you this. If you make time, if you create space in your life this week to get alone with God and you truly listen and you truly get to the bottom of what you're feeling, what you're processing, what God is speaking to you, it will change you from the inside out. I'm not saying you're going to blink and snap your fingers. It's going to be different, but I am saying that if you create space for God to speak and you genuinely give him your ear, You will have things to cling on to, things that will inspire you, things that will change you, things that will encourage you when nothing else in the world can. I'm so challenged by this series because I'm wondering what would happen if the people of this church said, you know what, God, I want to surrender to you. God, I'm sick of trying to do this on my own. I surrender. Whatever you have for me, I'm here. What would be different about your life? And what would be different about our community if we truly chased after what he has for us? Jesus died on the cross to take your shame, your guilt, and your sin away. Why? So you can be close with him. That's why he did it. So we can be close with him. So this morning, this afternoon, Whatever it is, solitude, being alone, and silence. Before I let you go, I need to make a very important stipulation. Solitude and isolation are two very different things. Isolation means I'm secluding myself from people permanently and intentionally long-term. That's not what solitude is. Solitude is what Jesus did where he got away for pockets of time to be alone with God. And then he was back with his people. Be with people. But also have time with God alone. And when I mean silence, no music, much as you can help it anyway, no other voices, just sit there and listen. And just let yourself feel, let yourself breathe and see what happens. Church, I'm so proud of the growth that's happening in this place. It's cool to see. And I know this is a tough one. But it's one that I think is going to change a lot of us from the inside out when we get alone with God and listen to what he says. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I speak for all of us when I say, God, we just want to hear your voice. We don't want to hear the negative voices. We don't want to hear the lies, the deception, the deceit. God, we want to hear your voice. The voice that says we're enough. The voice that says we're loved. The voice that says we have purpose. God, we want to hear the voice that gave it all for us to know you. And Jesus, this week, I pray that as the people that can hear my voice create time and create space to hear from you, I pray, God, that you would speak truth, you would speak visions, you would speak ideas, you would speak solutions, you would speak 
the presence of the all-knowing, all-loving God over their life. And then they would walk out of their time of solitude and silence different than when they walked in. I pray that wounds would be bound, hurts would be healed, and freedom would be found in your name, Lord. Jesus, we give it all to you. We worship you. We love you. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.